Greetings, my good people. What is happening? What is going on? Hope your Monday is off to a good start. And here to bring you through those winter doldrums that the NFL is now long gone, bringing you all the latest and greatest of the world of sports is yours truly, Jay Reels, here on the Jay Reels Podcast. So thank you for downloading and listening to this content as I bring you everything that's going on in the world of the diamond, the world of the ice, the world of the hardwood, gridiron, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J. Rose Podcast always comes correct, direct, and full effect. February the 11th in the year of our Lord 2019. What's on tap? Yes, we're going to talk about the sports dead zone. This is dead zone part one, which if you've heard the podcast uh, last year, as a matter of fact, I actually started this podcast March of last year in the middle of the dead zone. So I'll, I'll explain and get into all that. We'll talk about what's happening in the world of baseball, some rule changes that uh, look like they may be on the horizon. Also, where in the world is Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, where they're going to land. Pitchers and catchers have already been reporting throughout Major League Baseball, and the two of its brightest stars are still nowhere to be found. So I'll touch on that, as well as what's happening in the NHL. Eh, not much. College basketball, are the Duke Blue Devils saving college basketball? If just for this year, excuse me, that was a little high there. But we will certainly get into that, as well as uh, all the NBA stuff, which we'll kick off the program with. But before I begin, I owe you guys an apology. That's right. If you listen to episode 52, just the last one, where I had uh, my cousin, my man, my mellow JD, talking sports, I know I sounded very low. It was almost as if I had somebody at gunpoint, and I had to speak in a whisper. Well, that's what happens when you record on a Friday night, and the girlfriend's trying to sleep, and here I am with my big, boisterous voice, having to bring it down to a whisper, which for me is still a yell. So I must apologize to inform everybody that because I was speaking so low, it was done on purpose. I wasn't trying to fool anybody or try to make people wonder, hey, was Jay Reels had laryngitis? What was going on with him? So that was not the case. So please, if you were able to get through that, JD came through loud and crystal clear. I know he broke up at one point, but still, he was the star of the show. Me, I'm just there pretty much throwing softball questions at him, lobbing, and he's just slamming it home. So thanks to JD once again. So I have to say sorry, and that won't happen again. Next time I have JD on, I'll make sure that I'll have plenty of time to get into my questions and my passion, my voice, everything, when uh, that discussion comes at some point down the road. So now that I got that out of the way, as far as the dead zone is concerned, once the NFL season concludes, and once we get past the pomp and circumstance of the playoffs and especially the Super Bowl, you get into that first lull. And we are now officially into that lull where all you have is the NBA, which has been on high notice with all the -the off-the-court stuff, the trade rumors, but now that that's come and gone with the trade deadline, all we have is the All-Star break and the remaining two months of the season. The NHL, which could certainly use a dosage of what the NBA is taking. Now, I understand... The NBA player is a lot different than the NHL player. So you're not going to get that high-profile player in the National Hockey League that's going to say, I want to trade, or I want out, or I want this and that, which the league could certainly use. With the NBA, it's a little bit too much, as you've heard in my episode 51 last week. But the NHL is just that whole 82 games grind, just like the NBA. But at least you had these little offshoots of news and reports and rumors and things of that nature, which keeps the interest of the NBA on a high level. And with the NHL, of course, that's not the case. And then you have college basketball, which I'll get into with Duke later on. You just want to sprint to, in this case, for 
the 2019 tournament to March 21st. And I understand it starts on the 19th. I get it because you have the playing games, those uh, two games that take place that Tuesday night. But we all know the tournament starts Thursday at noon throughout the land. And you may have some baseball news. You may have, in this case, with Machado and Harper. But although you have those warm, fuzzy feelings when you're looking at pitchers and catchers and you get the first sense of baseball later in the month, you're not getting the full slate until the end of March where you're well into the tournament. And spring is finally here. So we've hit that first spot, that first, as I said, lull, where we try to regroup. We come off the high of the NFL season, the Super Bowl, etc. And now we can kind of just take a deep breath, relax, look at the sports landscape, and try to take you home until not only Selection Sunday, but even more so the, the tournament. Because as we all know, those two days especially, the Thursday and Friday, everybody has their eyes glued on a TV on a laptop, on a phone, a tablet, checking their brackets and making sure it's not blown up just hours into the tournament. So until we get to that point, we'll certainly, or I'll certainly, entertain you and bring you everything that's going on in the world of sports and find all the little nooks and crannies and angles to deliver this in a nice, neat package with a beautiful ribbon on top. And we'll start with the NBA, where we had the trade deadline come and go last week. And we talked all about the Porzingis the week before and Anthony Davis with his with the rumors of possibly him getting traded before the deadline, which would have been stupid for the Pelicans to do. But obviously they stood pat. And you even had Magic Johnson coming out saying some things about the Pelicans. I didn't really read the full article. It just came out earlier today when he said that they certainly didn't handle their side of the deal as well as they should have. And again, I'm paraphrasing. It's very loosely termed as I uh, bring that to you. But now that that's all in our rearview mirror and we look at some of the big trades that had taken place last Thursday, whether it was Tobias Harris going from the Clippers to Philly, and they certainly made out big with that deal. They even got an unprotected first-round pick from the Heat in 2021, so that's obviously for well off into the future. But to bring a guy like that in to go with Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Jimmy Butler as well, will certainly make them a formidable, if not a very possible pick to go to an NBA final. And I understand that may be a little bit of a stretch when you look at what Milwaukee's done this year and Toronto, and they certainly bolstered their teams by trading for Meritich from the Pelicans and also Marcus Gasol from the Grizzlies. So you look at a top part of the Eastern Conference where certainly some big trades have been made and when you look at how this is possibly going to unfold, the East which was once a weak conference and it looks as if with the strengths of these additions made it even that much more stronger and we're not even talking about the Celtics and they have their own issues that they're going through, blowing two huge leads at home to both LA teams, Thursday and Saturday respectively and you kind of wonder which of these teams have certainly positioned themselves in the best possible way to get them to an NBA, to- uh, NBA final? Now, the Bucks have had a great year, new building. Giannis, who's looking like the MVP this year so far. But we know they're young. They got a little bit of playoff experience last year in that first-round series against the Celtics. But is that going to be enough to get them through round two to a conference final, maybe to an NBA final? Toronto, with LeBron now out west, they don't have to worry about 
him and the Cavs and that kryptonite, do they have what it takes to finally make it to an NBA final for the first time in their franchise history? Do the Sixers, with the process and everything that had transpired over the years, and they traded Markel Fultz to Orlando, which a lot of people thought that, not to say he was the final or missing piece by any stretch of imagination, but knowing the whole process when they drafted Embiid three years ago and the injury woes that curtailed the beginning of his career. Ben Simmons, who also missed the whole year and turned into a rookie of the year last year. And then with Markel Fultz, it was pretty much, it seemed like the same trend was going with their number one picks. But now that they've made some trades and they brought in an all-star and a potential all-star, or a lot of people thought it was going to be an all-star this year in Tobias Harris. I don't even know if he made the team, but be that as it may, they've certainly increased their chances to get to an NBA final. And right, we haven't even talked about the Celtics because Celtics didn't make any deals and the Celtics have been falling apart and Kyrie left with a right knee issue, not the knee that was repaired last year that he hurt back in the 2015 final. But with the Celtics issues and what they're going through, a lot of people may not even look at them to get to the finals. But remember, they're the team that was one game away from reaching the NBA finals last year. So you have a very interesting dynamic in the East right now with those teams. If you're a Knicks fan right now, I mean, what could you say? You've lost 16 in a row. Actually, the Phoenix Suns have lost 14 in a row, and you both are battling for the worst record in the league. As a matter of fact, the Suns have played three more games than the Knicks, but the Knicks have a lower winning percentage at 182 to the Suns' 190. And I believe the Suns are 11-47 and as of today, and the Knicks are 10-40. and Five. So, if you're a Knicks fan, I know you're just praying that the ping pong balls go your way, but that's not for another three months. Think about that. I think that draft was usually on a Tuesday night, like the second Tuesday in May, when that shakes down. So, you still got plenty of time between now and then to see where the Knicks will stand as far as the lottery is concerned. And will the Knicks ever win another game? Who knows? They will actually play the Cavs tonight in Cleveland, and they play in Atlanta on Thursday. So there is a possibility that they may come out with a victory here before the All-Star break. So, Knicks fans, as much as you want to tank, as much as you want to try to get that number one overall pick, we all know that you got to win at some point. You're just not going to lose you know, 40 in a row. So there is a possibility that you may actually win a game before the week is out. So we'll see what happens there. And as far as the All-Star weekend is concerned, you know, you had the All-Star draft. Let's start there. I know last year was a big fuss about it because a lot of people thought that, oh, when LeBron and Curry were drafting, there were a lot of rumors as, oh, who was drafted last? As if that was a bad thing. Hey, if you're on the team as a reserve, even if you're drafted last, so what? I get that egos are in the way and it's people are fishing for storylines, but to me that was no big deal. And you pretty much saw that here. When you had LeBron and Giannis doing the draft, and I didn't watch it. I couldn't care less, to be honest with you. But when you looked at the draft, and I get that this year, Adam Silver both had Dwayne Wade from Miami and, of course, Dirk Nowitzki from Dallas. Now, Wade, we know this is going to be his final year. As for Dirk is concerned, he hasn't officially stated that he's going to retire after this year, but he pretty much did the right thing and said, hey, these guys deserve to be on the team, even if it's not going to be Nowitzki's last year. It possibly could be with the youth movement that they're going with down there. 
And granted that those are going to be the last two chosen, but even if that wasn't the case, what would it be a big deal if – I can't even give you a name right now because I don't even know who the old te- all the teams are, but let's just say for argument's sake Tobias Harris. If he was the last guy chosen on LeBron's squad or on Giannis's squad, is he going to fuss and moan about, oh, geez, how come I wasn't picked third or fourth or whatever? Now, we know LeBron picked Kevin Durant as his first choice, and Giannis picked Steph Curry, and you just pretty much go from there, and there are your teams. Which team is stronger? Which team is better? Uh, I couldn't care less. I stopped watching the All-Star games. You know, it's the same, no defense, alley-oops, behind-the-back passes, dunks. Just watch the highlights on YouTube and if you're that excited about it. And as I talked about in the podcast a few weeks ago, as far as the All-Star games is concerned, they are a snooze fest. They're a waste of time. The only one that I'll have any interest is the baseball All-Star game because there's nothing else going on. And even that's been just an absolute bore. But the NHL, who cares? NBA, same. And the Pro Bowl, don't even get me started on that. That's just, talk about a waste of everything. No offense to the players who get selected, but geez, I mean, that's not football. But then again, what you watch in the hockey, there's no defense in basketball. It's all the same. So that's what you have with the All-Star Draft as far as the game. I told you about that. The weekend, I know the slam dunk competition. I don't even know who's in the dunk contest. Which is a shame because that should be, and the NBA is good with the marketing as we know, but they should have who's in the dunk contest or two weeks out or when maybe when they announce the All-Star teams. Because even if these guys fell on me, I'd be like, oh, this guy's in the dunk contest? Or he's in the three-point shoot contest? Oh, yeah, whatever. The skills competition. Now, the dunk contest I won't watch. I used to DVR it and then just fast-forward it. And it has gotten better over the years where, you know, you have that whatever it was. I guess uh, 30-second or, you know, it's not like you get 100 dunks to finally complete your dunk. You only had a matter of whatever, 40 seconds it was. But even then, you know, that got tired. But if there's any news or, or whatever it happens as far as the dunk contest or, oh, this guy made this spectacular dunk, all you got to do is go to YouTube. And you can watch the whole thing there or you can watch the highlights of it or whatever it may be. Now, I'm not shilling for YouTube because there's a zillion other people who watch YouTube. So, But my point is is that I could care less. Is it the old, if it's in my backyard, I pull the blinds? Yeah, more often than not, yeah. But you know, if there was a spectacular dunk or something that was just outlandish, of course, you, you got to see it. You, you got to tune in or you got to not necessarily tune in, but you have to check the next day and say, all right, what, is it, what was it that I missed? And then you just see it and you go back and watch it. So that's, I mean, that's pretty much it with the NBA because you're going to have a pretty quiet week. Games are up until Thursday. Then you have the weekend, and then games don't start up until, I believe, next Wednesday. Because remember, a few years back, LeBron had stated that he want to have an extended All-Star break. So instead of having games where they end on Thursday and then they pretty much start up on Tuesday, you get those couple extra days to re-energize, recharge, and then you get the latter part of the season kicked off and running because we're more than halfway through the season. I mean, most teams have played almost 60 games. As I mentioned before, the Suns were 11 and 47, so they played 58 games. And chances are they'll probably end up playing 60 before Thursday's all said and done. So that's what you pretty much have in the NBA. You know, obviously we've talked a little bit about the East, out West. You know, Golden State is still holding forth there with that top position with Denver. The Lakers with LeBron back. Although they had 
just an exceptional win in Boston the other night with Rondo hitting that buzzer beater, which to my chagrin. But they sandwiched that with just pathetic performances, whether it was yesterday in Philadelphia, giving up 143 points, losing by 23. Could you imagine imagine scoring 120 points on the road and losing? And it's not like you lost, you know, 121-120. You lost 143-120. to But that's the NBA. That's the NBA today. They kind of take the NFL blueprint of scoring, scoring, scoring. No defense. And that's what you got. And I get that nobody wants to see the Knicks Heat or Knicks Bulls games of the 90s where it was 78-77. I get it. But, man, 143-120? Jeez. So between that and them getting waxed in Indiana. And I didn't mention Indiana in the mix, too. Which they just signed Wesley Matthews. Remember, Wesley Matthews was part of that trade with the Knicks, and they signed him as he was given his release once he was traded to the Knicks. But giving the end of credit with no Oladipo and the way they've bounced back, and they've certainly they've won five in a row. And they played really well. Can they make a final? I don't know about a seven game series against you know in the round two, whether it be against the number two seed if it's gonna be Toronto. Or if they fall number four and they play the number one, whatever it may be. But give them credit. They've certainly done very well in the absence of Old Depot, their best player. But out west, as I was saying, Golden State, Utah, I'm sorry, Denver. You know, those are the teams, of course, the top two. Oklahoma City, third. Lakers are trying to get their sea legs. Now with LeBron back, they go to Atlanta before they close out there week and head into the all-star break. You know, and you wonder just what what other team out west. You know, I mentioned the teams in the east, especially those top four or five teams. You know, you're not expecting the Brooklyn Nets or the Charlotte Hornets or, te- you know, teams like that to upset the apple cart. But out west, can Oklahoma City get to a promised land? Can Denver, with everything they've done so far this year, can they be that team to give a run for their money against Golden State? Because as we all know, it's a foregone conclusion that Golden State's going to come out of the West. That's why we have a second half of basketball to play or, in essence, 20 to 22 games left. And that's, like I said before, <clears throat> excuse me, that's how we're going to get you through this part of the winter and into the spring here on the j Rose podcast. So that's what I got here for the NBA. I'll stick with the basketball, but I'm going to turn my attention to the college game. And college basketball, for those who have been the ardent and passionate follower of the last 10 to 15 years, I'll say 20, kudos to you. Because I have watched, like, probably I've watched 10 minutes total of college basketball this year, and that's including my favorite team, Georgetown, which, you know, Georgetown, I don't expect much out of them. But we all know the story of college basketball this year is going on with the Duke Blue Devils, and you wonder for at least this 2018-19 season, have they saved college basketball? And I'm going to say, just for this one year, it's a resounding yes, because everybody is watching, especially here in New York, they're watching the exploits of Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett, and Cam Reddish. You can't forget the point guard. The point guard's been good too, but he's obviously not on the echelon or that level of the other three players that I mentioned. And of course Zion, the block we saw down in Virginia which went viral, which is just an unbelievable play. I mean the guy looked like he he was still on his way up when he blocked that ball. And just the 
athleticism, the explosiveness, everything. And I'm not going to sit here today and forecast what Zion's pro future is going to be. Of course, when you look at it right now, you know everybody wants to compare him to LeBron because of his body size. They want to automatically just say he's going to be the next generational player. And you got to pipe down a little bit because there are some parts of his game that, just like any other 18-year-old, needs some fine-tuning or retooling. But to me, it's not just about Zion. It's about the team itself. And I'll never forget weeks ago when I brought this up, when Stephen A. after the first, when they waxed Kentucky, and boy, did they just take him to the back of the woodshed. But when you have to hear Stephen A. Smith come out and say, oh, this team's going to go undefeated, and meanwhile, two games later, they lose to Gonzaga. Even with the two losses, and they lost again after that, even with the two losses, this is going to be the spotlight of the tournament, without question. And that's not going to be a knock on any of the other teams, especially the one seeds where right now, when you look at it, if the tournament started tomorrow, you're probably looking at Duke, even with the loss, Virginia, Tennessee, and maybe Gonzaga, Kentucky. Flip a coin. Because Virginia, obviously they've had a great year up until Saturday night where they kept scratching and clawing, but they could not get stops. For whatever the reason, they could not, as much as they scratched, clawed, fought their way back, they could not get a big stop. And they lose by 10. And the game was closer than the score indicated. But there were moments in the game where you just knew that Duke was going to win this game. Despite the fact that Virginia, at point, that times made it close. I believe the closest they ever got was four points in the second half. But still, Duke, I don't want to say they were toying with Virginia, but they certainly had the game under control because I didn't think by any stretch that, oh boy, here comes Virginia run and then Duke's going to fall like a cheap suit. Didn't happen. But are they saving college basketball this year? Yes, and for this reason, why? Because... People are looking at the talent, as I mentioned. But people are going to look forward to this tournament because of them. Because the Duke hater like myself, we want them out. Now, I understand that would be a blow for college basketball if they don't make it to a regional final, let alone a final four. But because of the talent and the pedigree, we know the coach and what he's done. He's We don't have to get into it. He's a legendary coach, Krzyzewski, etc. But... The further they go into this tournament is what's going to be the talk of not only just college basketball, but sports. Because they have a transcendent figure in Zion, and they have two other players that are just as good and are close to his level. Because if you were to look at the draft today, you would think Zion's going to go one just based on the hype. But R.J. Barrett and Cam Reddish are 1A and 1B. You know, it's not as if there's this distinction or this separation where you have Zion and then there's everybody else. Because I'm sure R.J. Barrett feels that he belongs in that conversation to be a number one pick overall. And I'm sure Cam Reddish to a certain degree as well. And when you look at the tournament, we all know it's a three-week sprint and everybody looks forward to that tournament with the brackets and so on and so forth. And I'm sure everybody is going to have either Duke in a Final Four or in a conference Oh, I'm sorry, or in the championship itself. And rightfully so, because based on the dominance that you've seen from them throughout the course of the season. So I would think for this one stretch, for this one year, they have saved college basketball because it's put them on the map. They've taken notice that this possible first-round pick of the NBA, and I mean first overall, and a lot of people can have their eyeballs not only just on this team, but on this player. 
So for this two-month stretch, well, not even because you think about the tournament, for the next six and a half weeks, a lot of the talk, and again, not just in college basketball, but in sports, is going to be about this team and these players. And if you're Krzyzewski, you've already won. Now, I understand it's about championships, about winning, adding to his legacy, which he doesn't need to add any more to it. But if all is said and done and Duke hoists that trophy that first Monday in April, there's going to be a lot to be said and a lot to be spoken about this team and whether or not college basketball can have a revival of sorts. Now, we all know that's not going to be the case because of the one-and-dones. Not only that, but with the G League coming in with their new rules as far as bringing in a guy that doesn't want to go to college that could play in the G League for $125,000 a year, whatever it is, or at least for that first year. So you certainly have to take that into consideration. But is this going to be the last of what we'll see of a quote-unquote super team in college basketball? I think so. Because even Kentucky, I mean, think about this. For all the players that have gone to Kentucky, going back to 2010, whether you want to say John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, those teams, Anthony Davis, Michael K- uh, Gilchrist, the team that won a, cha- a championship in 2012, the team in 2014 that actually went undefeated until they lost to Wisconsin, and the players that are on that team. And a lot of people were glued only because they were undefeated until they lost in the Final Four. But before the season started, and especially after they beat Kentucky the way they did, everybody has been focused on college basketball because of what's going down in North Carolina. And it's not because of the Tar Heels. It's because of Duke. And Duke already wears that black hat based on the fans. You know, Because by any means, you know they're not a bad team or they're not they're a bunch of bad guys. But for the guy like myself who despises Duke or despises the Yankees or despises the Lakers, you know, the teams that are always there at the top of the sports food chain. They have the bullseye on their back, but at the same time, it makes it good for the sport. And we wish you could see more of that in college basketball moving forward, but we all know how this sport unfolds. You get those top recruits, chances are you better strike gold with them because if not, their ticket to the NBA is going to be not even in a year, pretty much eight months after they arrive on campus. All right, as far as what else we got here. Um, Yeah, before I get to the baseball stuff, obviously the NFL with this down period here. Anybody had NFL withdrawals? I know I talked about the at the top with the sports dead zone. But with the... NFL, the Combine, I know people are going to get amped up about that, which is uh, two weeks from tomorrow, February 26th. I'm going to tell you right now, there's a reason why I'm bringing it up. I do not talk about Combine stuff. To me, that is a complete waste of time. I don't care if somebody ran a 40 in a half a second. Will it be brought up? Maybe, because obviously that's an achievement that no one will ever do. And if somebody did run that in a half a second, obviously we were talking about the Roadrunner from the old Looney Tunes cartoons. But... I do not talk about combine. I don't care who's the fastest, the strongest, who vertical is 20 feet in the air. Oh, nobody cares. So I'm just putting it out there for the NFL fan that is salivating for any combine talk. This is not the place. As it was, I didn't even talk about my over-unders for the NFL, which are bad anyway, so I'm not going to get into. So 
What I will say is, because we're heading the All-Star break and next Monday, I'll get into the my NBA over-unders. And just in case if you were curious, the NFL over-unders, I was 2-3-1. and one. Yeah, I pushed with New England because they had 11 wins and they were over-under no, a win total was 11. So certainly forgetful and forgettable for that matter. But the NBA stuff, I'll uh, keep you abreast of what my over-under totals and certainly they're not as good as the NFL ones. I'll just tip my hand there and put that out there. As far as baseball is concerned, before I even get to Machado and Harper, we had the rules that are on the table for possibly 2019 and beyond. I'll start off with the DH, Universal. That's not going to happen this year. It'll probably happen as early as 2020, and if not, you would think 2021. As a National League guy and as a Met fan, as everybody knows, am I in favor of it? No. Keep it the way it is, but we understand this is the direction that the sport is going. We get it that it's also going to make this sport that much more interesting from an offensive standpoint. We get it that it's going to employ more jobs for players in the National League, and I understand all the buzz was about the DH, especially with the Mets and Robinson Cano, come years two, three, four, five in his contract. We get all that. Me, I'm a purist. This is the only thing I've known as long as I've been alive. I get that I'd have to adapt, and who knows? Maybe I'll get used to it. I don't like it, though. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'm on board. But hopefully, if this is going to be the last year, 2019, where we're going to see the pitcher involved, as far as batting and participating at a plate in Major League Baseball games, then you know what? I'll soak it all up. And again, maybe it's easier for me because Syndergaard's a pretty decent hitter. Same for Jake, as well as Steven Matz, although he's fallen off since he first came onto the scene. But be that as it may, the DH, I'm not in love with it. I'm not for it. But if they're going to make that change, then you know what? I'll just deal. I'm not going to be that guy adamant pounding my chest. Oh, it'll be a disgrace, so on and so forth. No, I mean, let's not get carried away. Okay? As far as some of these other rules there, to me, what is with this three batter minimum? So let's just say for argument's sake, you have a lefty specialist come out to get a, let's just put this in a mix. So you got runners on first and second in a 4-3 game. And now you got to bring in your lefty specialist to come out to come and get Freddie Freeman out. All right, so you get him out. And the pitcher's due to bat in the following inning. Does that mean, oh, he only pitched the one batter, so he has to come out in the top half of the next inning to pitch to the other two batters? Or what happens if a pitcher comes in a clean inning, eighth inning, Mets are winning 4-3. Familia comes in, he gives up a walk and a home run. And Callaway wants to take him out. Oh, no, he has to pitch to one more batter? So let's say he pitches that one more batter and he takes him out of the park. Then oh, then what happens there? So that one, I, I, I could totally, I'm not with that. I certainly won't sign up for that. To me, they have to do something with that. I get it. It's all for speeding up the game. Understood. But that, to me, uh, that doesn't work. The 22nd pitch clock, I could see that. But what's the penalty? So you're going to give up a ball? So the minute the pitcher settles in, let's say it's two and one, and it's twenty-one seconds up. Now it's three and one. I, I don't know about that one. I get it. You want to speed up the game. Maybe if you put a twenty-second clock, okay, the first one's a warning. The next, uh, who knows? So I'm, I'm not in love with that one. The 
Roster expansion, now 26 men with 12 pitchers maximum. I kind of like that because you want to always have some depth on the bench. And sometimes when you have 13 relievers, and that's a lot. Think about it. You have five starting pitchers and eight relievers on your team, and I get specialists and this and that. But, again, cutting that one extra pitcher, not to say that's going to speed up the game, but you have an extra bench player, which helps. That don't mind. The injured is now the disabled list, now the injured list. And the reason why they say that is because now you have the concussion protocol, which you have a player in for seven days that they have to be out. So, of course, you're not going to have a disabled list for someone who's on concussion protocol for seven days. And then you have the disabled list, which was cut from 15 to 10 days. So now it's just an injured list, which, again, the baseball peers are still going to call it disabled list. You know, it's like me. If I'm driving up the FDR here in New York and I see the RFK bridge, no, that's the Tribro bridge. So, I'll still call it the disabled list. I understand it's going to be the injured list, and who knows, over time I may call it the injured list, but again, that's apples, I don't want to say apples and oranges, to me that's small potatoes. And then you have the single trade deadline before the All-Star break, which is, I like that. Remember, the trade deadline used to be June 15th, and the Met fan certainly knows that very well, 1977 and 83. But the deadline, which is now July 31st, and then you have the non- uh, that was the non waiver wire. Then you have the waiver wire, deal, wire deals from August 1st to August 31st. I kind of like it that there's just going to be one trade deadline. And the date, I guess, hasn't been set yet. I don't think June 15th, I think, is a little bit too soon. Why don't you make it July 4th? You know, make it July 4th. And I understand it's a tough day because you have a lot of day games. But if you, I think making it before the All Star break would be fine, because that's a that's a time period where teams are pretty much going to know where they are as far as the standings are concerned. They're going to know what direction their team's going to go. I get it. Sometimes you have these late crazy runs from late July through mid September, and there's a team in a race. I get that. That does happen every now and again. But if you're Let's say July fifth, and you're right at the you know right before the All Star break, and you're 11 games out. Chances are you're not going to make the postseason. So if you want to start selling, I mean you could do so. So the one deadline I do actually like that. What the date's going to be remains to be seen. But these are some of the proposals that have been brought up here, as far as that's concerned. And you know, listen, I understand they're trying to do whatever it takes to speed up the game and to draw interest for the younger fans, especially the, the kids, as we all know in this. Clickbait, everything at your fingertips, universe that we live in, you know, the attention span of some of these kids, they can't hack being at a baseball game, let alone watching on TV. So they're going to do what they can to try to either speed up the game or make the game better, whatever it is. So uh, some of it I'm for, some of it I'm not, as you've heard. So we'll see what the MLB does, I guess, in the coming weeks. Now, the DH, again, is probably not going to happen until next year. But we'll see if any of these others are implemented at some point during the season. If not, you would think most of them, if not all, will be implemented next year. And Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, where have you gone? All these reports, all these rumors. Last week you hear Harper met with the Giants with some positive talks. The week before was with the Padres. The Giants are an older team. To me, that's not a good fit there. Padres would be more likely because they have a younger team. And we know Harper's 26. Machado, the rumor was that the White Sox offered $250 million 
If that was the case, why didn't he take that? Because in this climate, there's no way he's going to get 300 or more. If he's going to get 300, he's going to get less years. He's not going to get the 10 years that I'm sure that they're going to look for or what they want. I don't know what's going to happen. And with pitchers and catchers already reporting, listen, J.D. Martinez, we get. J.D. Martinez came onto the Red Sox, what was it? This February in the 20s. And then you had Arietta come in the middle of March. So it's not as if this is unprecedented for any of these teams or any of these players to sign later than normal. But we are talking two of the top five players in baseball, arguably. And for them to not sign anywhere, and who knows if they're going to settle. Will they settle for a two-year, $60 million deal and then hope to become free agents at 28? And maybe the climate's a little bit different so they can get that big score? I even think then that's not going to be the case. And we all know that I believe the CBA is up after the 2021 season. I got to double check that. I'll be sure to look at that. But, And I would bet that there's going to be some radical changes. So I would think that the agents are smart enough to know that, uh-uh, we're not going to take two years because we know that the CBA is looming and that changes are going to be made. So they will want to try to get all they can now. And it's going to be a game of chicken. Who's going to break first? Certainly doesn't look like the owners are. Because if that was the case, these guys would have been long signed. And I don't know where these guys are going to go. You would think one of these two guys is going to Philly based on everything that was talked about with, oh, we're going to spend stupid money. And I think a lot of the Philly fans, I'm sorry, a lot of the fans, of course, I'm sure they're hoping one of the two comes part of their organization. But also... You would think that the Philly brass will look and say, all right, Machado's going this, going to Chicago, going elsewhere. Then we got Bryce. Or if Bryce signed here, then we got Machado. So it's almost as if they have a fallback position knowing that if one player signs with one destination, then they know that they're going to push all those chips in the middle of the table and say, okay, Bryce, or okay, Manny, this is what we got. All we need is your John Hancock on the dotted line. And the crazy thing is we're still waiting on Dallas Keuchel. We're still waiting on Mike Moustakis. We're still waiting on Craig Kimbrell and a list of others. But we all know the talk is about Bryce and Manny. And if I had to say right now, one of those two go to Philly, I think Manny would stay in the American League. Would he go to the White Sox? I don't know. I'd say no. I couldn't even tell you. I could not even tell. I couldn't even pick a name out of the hat or a team out of the hat because that's how it is. Because if that was the case, these guys would have been in the mix. All you're hearing is just words here and there. It's almost as if you're looking at a stove and everything's on simmer. There's nothing boiling. There's nothing coming to a boil. It's just everything is at a simmer. Just staying there. Nobody's releasing any type of information. I mean, that's just... How it is. And until somebody turns up that heat and that knob is on six and that water's boiling, then you're going to say, uh-oh, these talks are serious. These talks are real. This is going to happen. You haven't gotten any of that since the start of the offseason with these two guys. So why would that change within the next few hours or what have you? Meanwhile, as I'm saying this, watch. Bryce Armani just signed the big deal, $300 million with the Phillies or with the White Sox or with uh, who knows, the Braves. Braves got a ton of young players and a ton of money, so who knows. 
And then also Rio Muto, that was the other big news in baseball last week, gets traded to the Phillies. And I know a lot of people saying, oh, the Phillies gave up nothing for him. And listen, I know they got that. Sixto Sanchez is the supposedly the prize of that trade where he throws 100 miles an hour, young kid, remains to be seen. And I know Rio Muto and Harper, they had a little, whatchamacallit, at the uh, All-Star game last year. Had a little fun with the team photo and all that. When Bryce took off his Washington Nationals cap and put it on Rio Muto's head. So for what that's worth, who knows. And I wouldn't be surprised if Washington re-signs Harper at this point. I'm sure they're probably loving it. And they may be even a driver's seat for all we know. And one last thing, I will say this about Harper or, and or Machado. Some Met fans on Twitter, and of course you can't go or base anything on the fans and what people say on Twitter. Because the old saying goes, especially if you're Brody Van Wagenen, if you listen to the fans, you're going to end up sitting next to them. But they do have a case in this regard. If somehow, some way, the Mets would be wise enough to sign either one of those guys, and I know a lot of the pushes for Harper because we know Harper. We've played against them 19 times. Not to say that we don't know Machado because a lot of Mets fans, they don't watch the Yankee games, but when Machado was with the, with the Orioles and they played the Yankees 19 times, so you got to see a lot of Machado too. But they know Harper more because all our, all our intention is to watch the Mets and to follow what's going on with the Nationals because they've been pretty much this decade the best team in the division when it comes to the regular season. So the Harper sweepstakes or the Harper campaigning has been nonstop to say, Brody, this is your chance. Brody, we need an outfielder. Brody, this is the time to get Harper. Brody this, Brody that, Harper this, Harper that. The crazy thing is that Machado's more of a fit to the Mets than Harper is. Because as you know, we have a plethora of left-handed hitting outfielders as is to begin with. Conforto, Nemo, oh, Cespedes, of course, gone. but And we also have left-handed sticks in the lineup. Cano, Jeff McNeil. So when you add a guy like Manny, who could play third, do whatever you want with Frazier, I understand McNeil's probably going to end up playing the outfield anyway, considering it's going to be a logjam there. Jed Lowry switch hits, so that's neither here nor there. But Machado's more of a fit to the Mets than uh, Harper is. Because they need a right-handed stick, a right-handed power stick, and he's an infielder. So he pretty much hits all those three checkpoints on your list, and you could go ahead and say, that's our guy. But instead, they want the outfielder, where I guess you could put him in center field. And that means Keon Broxton and Jeff McNeil and can't forget Juan Lagares. They're going to fight out for the fourth outfielder spot but again this is all a pipe dream because we all know at the end of the day the Mets aren't going to sign these guys but the Mets would have every reason to sign them for one reason only we get that they're going to cost a lot and a lot of years so on and so forth but you know what if they went to Scott Boris and I know they would laugh at it and so on and so forth but in this day and age you never know for all the things that I mentioned about the Possible work stoppage and the CBA and so on and so forth in two to three years. And there's no way they're going to sign a two-year contract because of this. But if you could imagine that the Mets said, you know what? We're going to give you two years, $60 million signage. You, you want to pull everything short than the A-Rod 24 plus one, that rumor back in 2000. 
Hey, that would be as sweetheart as a deal as you could ever imagine. Why not? And I guess the Met fan would look at that and say, hey, at least they tried. At least, hey, two years, 60 million, why not? In this day and age, the way baseball is, they're not going to dish out the big contract. But at least for those two years, they put the money where their mouth is. I understand that it's laughable. And it may make the organization, the front office look like laughingstocks. But guess what? You haven't heard anything else about offers out there when it comes to these guys, so why not? Hey, two years, we'll give you the rule of the roost. I know it's hokey and I can't stand it, but look what they do with Aaron Judge with that judge's chamber out in right field. Well, you know what? They'll make a Harper or something or other in the Pepsi porch or the Coca-Cola porch, whatever. It's Coca-Cola corner, whatever it is right now. Do the same thing. Why not? It's a pipe dream, and I'm not saying that that's what they should do. Would it be nice? Absolutely. Because tickets will go through the roof. That building will be sold out all year. And they may think, oh, we're not going to make enough money, so on and so forth. No, they're nuts. They bring in Harper Machado in here. The ticket sales will go through the roof, to the moon. But who am I? I'm just a diehard Met fan for my whole life who does a podcast each and every week. What can I tell you? So that's what you have there, people. And one last thing before I say goodbye. And I saw this earlier, and I thought this is quite interesting. Where were you tonight? Or today, whatever the time you listen to this. So hopefully you get to listen to this today as it'll be fresh off the presses in about two hours. It's 11.30 a.m. as I currently speak. Where were you on this day 29 years ago when Buster Douglas fought Mike Tyson in Tokyo? The crazy thing is I know where I was. I was actually at my dear friend Ralph's apartment hosting dinner with a female friend of ours. A complete afterthought, thinking that Buster Douglas, remember the odds were what, 42 to 1 of him winning the fight. A complete afterthought that Tyson was going to lose this fight. And then my old roommate calls Ralph on the phone. It was, I don't know, whatever time it was. Because remember, the, game, the fight was in Tokyo, so they had that time difference. Remember, it was fighting whatever it was in the morning. And getting the phone call saying, yo, you're not going to believe this, but Tyson just lost. And we're like, Lost? Decision? No, knocked out in the 10th round. And that was as stunning of sports news that you could ever digest, dissect, whatever it may be. Because we know Tyson was indestructible. It was Mike Tyson. Youngest heavyweight ever. Destroyed the heavyweight division. We all we know the whole deal. But he loses to, of all people, Buster Douglas. James Buster Douglas. Which, in essence, was the beginning and end for Mike Tyson. Now, granted, we all know he went to prison and he came back and Peter McNeely and Holyfield. Uh, we get all that. And we're not going to rehash all that. We're just rehashing what happened 29 years ago tonight. So as you're listening to this and you're old enough, think back to where you were that night because I certainly wasn't watching that in front of the set. And I was on HBO. It wasn't pay-per-view. I certainly wasn't watching that. And when I found the news, it was almost as if, damn, why didn't I watch that? That's the beauty of sports, people. There are those moments that once in a while that'll shock you and you'll say, man, I missed that. Thanks again, everybody, for downloading and listening to this podcast. You can listen to any of my other podcasts, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, people, I implore you to please leave a review, post a rating. All that's going to do is 
generate and increase the visibility of this podcast amongst all the others in the sports universe. And that will also generate some more traffic and more people, which would also increase the visibility of possible future guests, which I'm uh, working on. I'm trying to do two podcasts a week where I'll give you everything that's going on in the world of sports and then have a guest at some point in the middle of the week. So make sure you go to those platforms, subscribe, all that. Tell your friends, forward it to people who love sports, like sports, getting into sports, sports junkies, fanatics, you name it, please. It uh, goes without saying how important that is. Also, jreels.com, tweaking some things on the site now, working on some other things in regards to the site because I want that to be the destination for everybody to go, the hub, before you could uh, head out to the podcast. Of course, you can get the podcast on my website as well. Don't forget. So even if you're at your desk, in front of your desk at home, wherever it may be, you could go to the website and download the latest edition of the JRails podcast if you're not at your phone or your tablet. And again, all you have to do is just hit podcasts. All those platforms are on your phone. You may have that podcast app. Hit that. Type in the J Reels podcast. Subscribe. All that. Or even hit Siri. Or I believe even Alexa, you could do it. I know with Siri, you can because I've tested it. So when you ask Siri, please play the J Reels podcast. It will pop up. And all you have to do is at that point hit subscribe. It doesn't get any easier than that, people. So please do so. If you want to send any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whether that has to do with me or the program itself, you could find me on my social media accounts, J Reels, Instagram, J Reels One, just the number on Twitter, and the J Reels Podcast, my Facebook page, as well as the email, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. As I bring you everything that's going on in the world of sports each and every week, and then some from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flippy.